Um, there's a movie out now um, called The Shack, and, um, and you're trying to figure out whether you should go see it. The, the short answer is no. Um, but if you want the long answer, um, it was requested by somebody um, in the congregation. I did a, like a two-week uh, Wednesday night thing on The Shack. It, um, that's what I was just asking, Jason. It was in 2008, nine years ago. Gosh, it doesn't seem like nine years. But anyway, um, I did a, it, it, um, it, somebody requested that they put it back up. It is now available both on the website and on the church app. So if you'd like the long answer as to um, at least what the book, I, you know, I, I care not to see the movie, uh, but at least what the book was all about and want to, remember, it was the rage. I mean, they were having studies and churches on the shack and all that business, and it's just, it is, um, it's, it's just not good. Uh, the whole message of the book is just, um, it's not good. So anyway, um, if you want to hear that, it's up for you uh, for your viewing or your listening pleasure. Um, we also, uh, guys, you know, I have kind of a fondness because I spent those three months in Budapest, Hungary. Um, uh, one of the relationships that I uh, treasure from over there and being in, in Budapest is a, is a man and his family, who uh, the man is here tonight. Uh, he, he really is an old Russian spy is what he was. But, uh, I mean, he looks like a Russian, but he's really a Hungarian. Uh, but, I mean, he looks like a, I mean, even his name, Ishvan. I mean, doesn't that sound Russian to you? I mean, um, but anyway, and the, the last name is like Zvengeller or something like that. I can't pronounce it. Uh, but Ishvan is here. Ishvan, stand up here, buddy. Uh, there he is. Uh, <clears throat> Now, does he not look communist like a communist to you? Uh, <laughs> all right, just pronounce your last name. Yeah. See there? Who could ever possibly say that? Anyway, that, that's Ishvan. He uh, works with Campus Crusade or crew uh, in Budapest. Uh, got a precious little wife and uh, just... We had a meal in their home one night, one Sunday night, enjoyed it so much, and, and really value our relationship with Yishvan. Okay, guys, um, uh, we're moving on in the text. Uh, we did um, make some progress last week. We, we covered verses 2 and 3. We'll slow down a little bit tonight because verse 4 is pretty, um, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to trip you up a little bit. Um, let me read verses 2 and 3. Look, I, Paul, say to you, that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Um, I, I, I said to you, uh, what I would taught you last week, is that um, circumcision or accepting circumcision um, became uh, synonymous with a religious approach, with a religious position. That is the one that's described in Acts 15.1, that you must uh, be circumcised and keep the law of Moses to be saved. Uh, and Paul says, if you adopt that, there are two consequences. And the two consequences are, uh, mentioned very clearly, that Christ will be of no advantage to you, and you're obligating yourself to keep the whole law. So that's, that was big enough. And then you come to verse 4. Let me read that to you. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. <laughs> Now, is that severe enough for you? 
uh, you are severed from Christ. Um, but I think one of the things that you can see almost immediately is that the issue is not circumcision. The issue is not this, uh, this, uh, this ritualistic act. That's not the, that's not the problem. Um, the, the real issue is, is that uh, it would suggest that you are trusting in something other than Christ. Um, that, that some kind of outward act, something that I did, some kind of human accomplishment, um, would ultimately save me, as if the work of Christ was not enough. Or at least it wasn't finished, it wasn't uh, adequate, and I had to seal it up by uh, contributing some kind of little ditty-wah uh, called circumcision. Um, he's, Paul is saying, if you think that Christ and law can dwell in your heart at the same time, it merely means that Christ doesn't dwell in your heart. Um, if you deny a salvation by Christ alone through faith alone, you cannot be saved, and the word that he uses is severed. You are severed from Christ. Now, you get all that, but I, I bet you the place that your eyes went when I read that text was not the first half of it. It's that second half. You have fallen away from grace. And as you saw those words, you go, oh, no, I'm wrong. I've been wrong. So what we want to do tonight um, is really deal with that. Uh, verse 4b, you have fallen away from grace. Now, guys, there's a couple of issues uh, that are bound up in that, in that sentence, and, and we, I want to try and, and um, calm your... Um, you're questioning hearts. I hope I can. Um, maybe not, but we'll, we'll see. Does that last sentence in verse 4 mean, as some have taught and who continue to teach, that you can be saved and then lost? Now, ladies and gentlemen, those who hold to such a position certainly would use this as one of the proof texts, one of the texts for their, the proof of their position. Um, and it, it certainly does seem to say that, does it not? Um, is this text teaching that you can be a, a saved individual, but as a result of something, lose that and be lost? It can't be teaching that. It just can't be teaching that. Now, not because I wish it weren't, but it just can't be. Um, and, and I want to show you the reasons why I say that, and I, I hope to say that uh, emphatically. But I want to, what, what, there's two things, I, I want to read you a couple of statements written by the same man that wrote this, the Apostle Paul wrote this. Um, but you, don't turn to this one, but I, I'm going to get you to turn to one in just a second. But this is um, uh, the Apostle Paul who also says, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Okay? Now, that, that to me seals the conversation. But maybe not, maybe not for you. But I, I, I'm going to do something.
And I want you to go to Romans chapter 8. And I want to read you a paragraph, and I'm going to read it slowly. Because I hope the full weight of, of this text will outweigh anything that I might be able to teach. Um, what I say is not inerrant. This is inerrant. But keep in front of you the, the question before the house. What is verse 4b teaching? Is it teaching that I can be saved and then lost? Is that what it says? <clears throat> now, I want to read you beginning at verse 31 of Romans 8. And I'm going to read, again, I'm doing this self-consciously. I'm reading it slowly. And I want you to try to, try to grasp the overall message that Paul is, is writing to the Roman church. Okay? I'm not going to try to teach it. I'm just going to try to let this section of that letter uh, filter into your soul. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what impact did that paragraph have on you? I mean, if you were, if you were just going to pick out the overall impression that it, that it makes, there's, there's a couple of things that I would, I would point out. First of all, this great work of redemption is something that God is in charge of. That's one thing I, I would pick out. The other thing is that the reason that there's nothing that's going to separate me is based on the first thing I just said. <laughs> that the one who is in charge of this great work of redemption is God. 
He says it another way in Philippians 1. I am confident in this very thing, that he who hath begun the good work will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, guys, again, what, what, is that, what, what impact does that make on you? Folks, I, you don't need to take my word. I just asked you, does Galatians 4, 5.4b teach that you can lose your salvation? And I said, it just can't. That's not a visceral response. It can't because then all of this other, these other things that Paul has said about the permanence and safety and security of God's people, why is it that they are permanent and safe and secure? Because God wrought it. And because God wrought it, He who hath begun this good work will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, gang, I I may point this out, and theologically you're not going to get this, but I'm going to say it anyway. This is the Arminian's Achilles heel, theologically. If you're an Arminian in here, this this is your Achilles heel, or one of them. There are several But it's your Achilles heel because of this. In Arminianism, God does this work to make me savable. And then I start this thing by my decisionistic um, determination. So if it started like that, then it can be ended like that too. But if God started the work, um, then the promise is he is going to perfect it. He's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he says there's nothing that's going to separate us from his love. Nothing. You mean the DUI I got? That's awful, and I'm sorry you got one, and I hope you'll never do that again. But no, it's not going to separate you from the love of God. You mean the divorce? Well, I hate divorce. God hates divorce, and we all hate divorce, and we, we've all seen the, the ugliness in divorce. Me, my divorce is, what about my abortion? Well, I'm sorry you did that. That's an awful thing that you did. But is that going to separate you from the love of God? No. No. Nothing in all creation, if God started this work, now, gang, I, I, surely you know me well enough. I'm not trying to encourage any of those, those pieces of behavior. Uh, they're all terrible deeds. But my entrance into the kingdom was not based on my performance, and my exit is not based on my performance either. I didn't get in by, because of my performance, and I'm not getting kicked out because of my performance. If God, and that's, that's why I, I wanted you to see Romans 8. God did this. Therefore, it, it can't be undone. Um, he who has begun the good work. That's Philippians 1.6, by the way. Will perfect it. If he ever called you to himself, ever, you will never be separated from that love. 
Okay, then, Jimmy, what is Paul saying in Galatians 5? Let's see if we can sort that out. And, and I would say this, and I, I hope you've already figured this out. If, if that's what Paul is teaching, that you can be saved and lost, then he's certainly in contradiction with himself. In this letter and in others, in Romans and in Philippians, he, he's contradicting himself. I said my first answer was it just can't teach that. It can't. It can't because it would run in the contradiction with this, the, the author that wrote Galatians and Romans. Same guy wrote them. So what then is he saying? All right, guys, I think the best way to explain it is to ask you to go with me to 1 John chapter 2. <clears throat> hope you're there. hope you got a phone or something that will let you look at this. Um, here's, here's what I think is uh, pictorially <clears throat> helpful and descriptive. First John, chapter 2, verse 19. All right, let, me, let me read 18. Just, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrist, you see that's plural, the other one's singular, Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. Now, who's the they? It's those antichrists, okay? They went out from us. Who's the us? Well, it's the Christian community. Call it the church. I think that's safe and fair. These antichrists, these these, uh, opponents, they went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are that they all are not of us. Do you see what, what John is saying, guys? There's this Christian community, lots of people in it, and there were a few in there that threw in the towel, said, this is a bunch of poppycock, I don't believe it, and left. John is saying, um, yes, they were, they were a part of the community, externally, visibly, but they were never of us. They were with us, but they were not of us. Because if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, demonstrating to everybody who saw it that they were never of us. Gang, back to Galatians 5. What Paul is teaching here in Galatians 5 verse 4 is that to choose this legalistic position, that is, I must, um, I must undergo circumcision and keep the law of Moses to be saved. To choose that position is to relinquish a posture of grace. It's, it's to move out of the range of grace as the principle by which I will be reconciled to God 
and move into a, a realm that tells me that human achievement is what's going to save me. I have fallen out of the realm of grace. But if I do that, I was never in the realm of grace. I, I was never a, I was never a, particip- a partaker of grace. Because if I went out, though I was with you, I was never of you. I had never partaken of grace. And so now to choose this legalistic position, I'm moving myself out of this realm of grace into a realm of law. Um, you move away from a, 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 um, a, a posture of leaning on God's performance for me in Christ, I leave that and move over to a posture where merit is that which ultimately saves me. Um, <clears throat> that, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I think pretty much, I, I hope explains for you what he's saying in Galatians 5.4. Go back with me, guys, to First John. Let me show you one other thing, because I hope all of this will make, I hope it'll be clear when you leave here tonight, because, you know, when you're lying in your bed and Satan comes and wants to mess, you, mess with you a little bit, um, it, 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 you, need, you need this truth to, to hang on to. I'm in First John chapter 2, verse 4. Um... No, First John, uh, yes, three, not four. First John two three, and by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Now, guys, what is John saying there? That to keep His commandments is the thing that makes me know Him. Gang, the book of First John. Um, I mean, if you know anything about the book of First John. Um, the book of 1 John is giving you several means of self-diagnosis. It's giving you several things by which you might examine your own soul. The one that it is giving you here is an ethical uh, criterion. Uh, do I, as a, as a professing Christian, do I have a changed life? Do I? Um, There has to be some change. Um, Gang, obedience does not bring about my salvation, but obedience as a pattern of life, as a general trajectory of my life, that does give evidence that I do know him. But it is not that obedience that brings me into that relationship. Now, gang, um, having brought up this subject, um, let me address another one, which is a which is a sister a sister uh, idea that that is it's 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 important. Um, What I've just taught you out of Romans eight and all is just that you are eternally secure. 
um, that is a theological um, position fact. Enjoying that theological position varies from person to person. That's what we call assurance. Um, And assurance is we are exhorted to have it. Um, uh, is it Peter who says, make your calling and election sure? There's a couple of places in the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, that talks about full assurance of faith. We are exhorted to have it. But particularly, I mean, gang, there are periods in our lives brought on by who knows what that our enjoyment of these, these rich Confident truths varies, it wanes, it, it staggers. Um, and it, it, in times where I have committed some kind of not-so-nice act, um, or failed to, or, you know, who knows, it could be chemically, you know, my body chemistry. I don't know, but our enjoyment of our posture, of our position It waxes and it wanes. So how do we go about coming to that place of of full assurance that that the book of Hebrews talks about? Let me mention four quick things, and then I may sing you a song. I may not sing it. I may just read it, but you're hoping I read it. Um, um, Let me say this. Assurance is not a possibility if you think you've earned your salvation. As Rome teaches, if you think, and and by the way, Rome thinks assurance is what I've, I've told you before, calls it a damnable and pernicious heresy. Assurance, a damnable and pernicious heresy. Why? Well, because if you teach somebody that the only way that you're going to be reconciled to God is through performance, then you never want to give them assurance that all is well. So if you think that your eternity is somehow tied to your merit, you're never going to enjoy assurance. You're always wondering, have I done enough? Um, Guys, um... If you're a self-conscious Arminian, you're going to struggle with assurance. Um, because the, the, in Arminianism, you started the thing. You got that engine running by the, you know, the sovereign act of yours. I'm just telling you that that's a, that's a very precarious position to be in. But let me mention two things in terms of how do I pursue it. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest thing to understand that will contribute to a posture of assurance is understanding our union in Christ. Gang, um, um... Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide 
myself in thee. By the way, does anybody know what the Rock of Ages is? It's drawn from 1 Corinthians 10. Christ. Let the water and the blood from the riven side which flowed be of sin, the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to sing the last stanza because the other two are just so wonderful. But I we don't have time. While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyelids close in death, the, the, the hymn writer is Augustus Top Lady. You know what a top lady is saying? He's saying, when I get closer and closer to death, when I get more and more afraid, am I safe, am I safe, am I safe? He's saying, when, I, when my eyelids are closed, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne. Listen. Rock of ages. Cleft for me. Let me hide. 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 Myself. In thee. Ladies and gentlemen, that is union with Christ. The reason that I'm safe is that the rock of ages came and he got cleft. And that's where you and I have got to learn to hide. In the wounds of the Savior and his finished work. One more thing. If assurance is still a struggle, guys, then you must learn to reason syllogistically. If you've ever been trained in a law school, they'll, treat, they'll teach you how to reason in a syllogism. Here's the syllogism. It's got a major premise. Um, all who believe are saved. That's the major premise. Here's the minor premise. I believe. What's the conclusion? <laughs> you have to learn how to reason like this, ladies and gentlemen. Did you do a bad thing? Yes, it was bad. I'm sorry you did it. It's, 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 it's troubled your soul, vexed your soul. Then you have to go back here. And say, what, what, is, what, what, is, what am I taught? Well, I'm taught, you know, all throughout the New Testament, the little that I know about it is that all who believe in Christ are saved. Well, do I believe? Yes. Is it perfect faith? No, it's not. But do I believe in him? Yes, I do. I mean, if, Jesus, if God were to see my heart, what would he see? Would he not see me uh, believing in Jesus Christ? Yes, he would. Then, the conclusion, I'm safe. Guys, it's, um, it's statements like Galatians 4, 5, 4b um, that, can, that can trip you up and can give you trouble. I hope it won't ever do it again. But if, um, if it does, 
You know what this is? This is a copy of Rock of Ages. You know where it sits? On my desk in my office at home. I sing it often. Let me hide myself in thee. Our Father, I I do pray that your people who struggle over this, if there are some of your people who struggle over this, that um, tonight's comments might, might help. Might they be medicinal to the to a sick soul. And I pray that they might be able to leave here with, with a greater sense of refreshment and a greater sense of all is well. Not because they, they behaved well at work today, but because Jesus Christ has finished his work. And though I have performed poorly, he has performed maximally. And I, with my feeble hand of faith, have reached out to say, I trust him and him only. Might that take people to that cleft of the rock to insert themselves so that we all might hide in this uh, grand Savior of ours. We, um, we pray all of that, of course, in the name of Jesus. Amen.